Hi everyone, HJ here. This is a message to give you all a trigger warning about a few topics discussed today. Although nothing is graphically described or even described at all, in several places in the episode, Megan and I discuss the role of sexual violence and sexual assault in high fantasy, including a mention of a character in The Witcher cursed for assaulting a character off-screen. As a survivor myself, I abhor the usage of this cheap, flimsy plot device by lazy writers, but it is an unfortunate reality that we felt too important to skip over. Although, again, the mentions are brief, feel free to skip this one and listen to our next episode, which is on a far more lighthearted topic. Thank you, as always, for listening. Hey there, and welcome to Dear Fandom, where everything you like is terrible, and that's okay. I'm Megan. And I'm HJ. And today is the long-awaited second episode about The Witcher, which technically came out in December. But guess what, guys? Time is meaningless. I'm busy. Time is meaningless. <laughs> and, and we're both busy. Right. So. It's, so, so I understand and I appreciate how much The Witcher 2 has brought to, well, Witcher Season 2 has brought to my life. So I'm here to share this joy with you, HJ, and with you, my listeners. Ah. Thank so, you. so to begin, we're just going to start off, let's do a quick recap at the end of season one, which I didn't even mention in the prior podcast episode, You, so you guys are already prepared. Uh, <laughs> so Yennefer Vengerberg, basically, like at the end of the season, was like, bah! and set everybody on fire, woohoo, bad guys dead for the battle, not the war. All right, so since you're already confused, I'm just going to piece by piece the big plot points, all right? Because I figure there's no point in, thank, in trying thank to... Thank you. I, I assure you, I, my mind is a sieve. <laughs> I remember As soon as I nothing. said Vengerberg and Nilfgaard, you're like, nope, we're done. I don't yeah, know Middle I was, Earth. I was like, these are these words? Are these... <laughs> Okay, is that so, a term I'm supposed to know? <laughs> you could. Have you been? Have you gotten your yearly Vengerberg shot? Check with your doctor. <laughs> Vengerbergs? So, In this okay. economy? <laughs> I know. God, no. I'm joking. Okay, so here are the main plot points. I promise you they are as... I, I literally thought about it for a while to try and make it as easy to describe. So you got four main plots, like, okay. kind of going on throughout the season. Okay. First things first. You got your, you've got Geralt, who's basically, like... I've adopted Siri, who's my tiny little daughter, and I'm going to be, like, her dad and her trainer, and I'm just going to do that. And then Siri, in the meantime, is like, I'm going to be tough girl number seven. And then you realize, like, oh, I'm so sorry. You are not tough girl number seven. You are an omen of end times, and you have been specifically born to bring about the end of humanity. But, hey, we'll get to that. Um... yeah, we'll re- this, we'll, this we'll is touch. starting to sound familiar, right? Right, and then we have Yennefer, who was the one from Vengerberg. Remember the shot? So she lost all her magic by doing all the fire stuff, and then she's yes. got to do like this big self exploration journey. She's like, "Oh my god, where's my magic? How do I find it?" Oh my god, spoiler! She finds it Mm-mm. because they wouldn't allow a character with magic to just get rid of it forever. What is this? Heroes season three. Uh, what's that heroes only lasted for one season exactly (laughs) (laughs) so finally the last plot that's kind of like the overarching backstory i wouldn't know if i wouldn't call it just a plot but i'd call it sort of like the landscape of season two is this uh kind of continental like it's very it's actually very akin to what's going on in ukraine and, and russia with regards to it is a war that is being led by one territory and it's kind of it's an invasion of uh, of sovereign land basically, and the elves in this uh, analogy 
are side with Nilfgaard because they are indigenous to the land that's being invaded and they've mm. already been kicked off their land. Uh, so I have no idea if you've ever heard of these kind of plot points. Just figured I'd throw them out there. Okay, here's the thing. Not to be this person, but to always be this person. This is essentially the plot of Good Omens. Oh, really? This is basically the plot of Good Omens, I yes. I have never seen Good Omens, so. Yeah, there's let's... there's the Antichrist, there's a, yeah, but anyway. That's oh, yeah. a, so, that's a future so, episode. <laughs> so let us see, let, I'm going to continue to, like, discuss the plot, and you can, like, let me know as we go along, because we're going to be talking about different, like, tropes in fantasy specifically, but yes. it's going to be, sometimes you'll, you'll get a little bit of sci-fi, sometimes you'll get a little bit of religiosity, you know, it'll just happen. Mm-hmm. So, there are several side plots that are going on in the background amongst these couple of main plot points mm-hmm. but what's so good about these side plots is they always add to the main story you're not like hey what happened to jeff i saw him three episodes ago is he okay i miss him is he all- no it's great and the best part is is jeff is actually not a named character but we're just going to use jeff as a placeholder for how i'm going to convey the plot to hj okay. all right guys that ac- we're getting that actually it. helps me thank Perfect. you so we're not so what we're gonna say is that in general there's a lot going on this season there's a lot in general that is very inaccessible if you're just jumping into season two but Mm -hmm. you guys luckily have listened to the witcher season one episode and you know that you're i know the question on everyone's mind is where is the tub daddy references and i want to let you know that while watching this for a second time in a row and I was like, yeah, I don't remember the tub daddy, but I'll get, I'll get me some shirtless Geralt scenes. We're going to have them. Uh, guys, that's just, uh, I, this, this is the real spoiler. Uh, there are no uh, tub daddy scenes in season two. Um, excuse me? I know. I'm, I'm, I'm equally as disappointed, but the positive thing is they replaced the, the, the chesticle show with, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, continue. I'm sorry. So they replaced the chesticle show with uh, what we like to call good writing. <laughs> uh, oh. So, zing. Oh, um, I, I know, I understand. We all want to talk about that Party City wig, but guess what? Somebody decided, oh crap, let's hire a writer and write this script. Because I'm certain we're going to talk about fantasy genre for a moment. It's just oversaturated. The fantasy genre is literally splitting at the seams with how much not good fantasy like text Mm. there is you know Mm -hmm. and specifically in fantasy there's not a lot of diversity of story and a diversity of experience within a story it's usually you'll have your centralized your your central character of the plot or maybe like central character of like your your chapter but it's never really about like the diversity of experience. It's all like just like eight people within the same rich family or the same powerful family's Game of Thrones. Excuse me. Um, so and the, the big thing when I'm talking about diversity of experience is I'm talking about the racism specifically that elves encounter. And uh, okay, so this is a side tangent. We're going to go on for, for just a few seconds about the movie Bright with Will Smith and Joel Edgerton. And I apologize for bringing this up for anyone who's ever watched it. It's a, it's, it's a hard movie to get through because you have to Rough. watch it in order to finish it. 
And uh, that's hard for all of us. One of the worst parts is, okay, so, so just to quickly, I know you didn't watch it H day, right? I have not, and I will never see it, but Great. I sort of know the gist of it. Yeah, so Will Smith plays a cop in, like, Fantasyland L.A., which, when I say Fantasyland L.A., I mean it in, like, it's it's just a fantasy scape of L.A. It's taking L.A. and putting it in the context of fairies and pixies and elves and orcs and dwarves and, and halflings and druids and da-da-da-da-da, whatever, except you're, you're taking all of those races and you're applying it against American background in the 2010s, and there's mm-hmm. this big problem with the orc characters so will smith's a cop and he's got a cop partner who's joel edgerton who is an orc and he's like it's really 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 disgustingly obvious that orcs in bright are an analogy for black people they're just meant to be a racist trope they're not specifically about you know the struggle of being a uh a minority in an inner city and like what kind of discrimination you would experience based on just being your your race whether that's like orc or elf or whatever it's more like they dress like uh i'm trying to think of like the best comparison okay so if you remember like the d12 music video my band yes Great. That's literally what the orcs dress like. Like, these chicks don't even know the name of my band. And also, they are really, really heavy-handed with the racist, uh, like, stereotypes here. So maybe we can, like, take a step back because every single one of these dudes is, like, not a black guy. It's an orc. Um, that's, oh, that's so, that's so yikes. That's it's so rough. much. It's, it's heavy. It's the heaviest-handed shit in the world, which is why the movie didn't do well. Elves are also in this film, and they are basically, like, the rich top rung of society they they're the only ones who can use magic they're all white and they're all pointy eared and they all look like they have like silver hair or blue hair or purple hair and it's just or asian they're white or asian and you're just like wow man i don't think you understand how fantasy worlds work so (laughs) not a great one when it comes to the the literal concept of what is racism it's less about like what is racism in america and how to more broadly define it in bigger bigger scenarios so like bright really just kind of shit the bed when it came to well elves are pretty white people and orcs are you know thuggish people so we have to discriminate against them and it's like no 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 it it wow god damn it man i'm not even gonna try yeah we'll just move on to district nine which is better you've seen district nine I've seen District 9. It's it's a, one of my, like, top films. I love it. Absolutely. And it's um, the best part about District 9 is racism is shown as a superiority. You believe that you are superior to another race, right? That, that, that genetically you are more intelligent or there's some, some kind of hierarchy of there is uh, race determines your uh, quality of respect that you get from other individuals, mm-hmm. I guess is like how it would be best described in District 9. So you mm-hmm. have these actual aliens and District 9 is really like that one is not heavy handed in the sense of like it's written poorly. It's heavy handed because it's set in fucking South Africa. Yeah, like... it is, yeah it's, it's the South Africa during apartheid. So a little bit different, a little bit different, but it is a good way to take the sci fi genre and put it against the apartheid in south africa without literally saying this is the black experience in south africa it's a bit it's a bit uh better written you know okay just just like a minor a minor gripe about bright before we go on to like the race the racism metaphor in witcher yes um 
the Los Angeles Police Department is notoriously racist. Like, why would you, why would you set it there? Like, okay, it's, if it's, I had it's to a, guess, it's a big, it's like a known problem. So if I had to guess, and this is, and this is, uh, uh, they started with a different writer. Um, <laughs> I fucking guess. <laughs> they're like this, the first writer's like, okay, guys, it's gonna be a tale of racism and overcoming stereotypes and overcoming hatred and overcoming bias. And we're going to set it in LA because it's known for being such a corrupt capital when it comes to the police. And then they're like, yeah, listen, Jeff, uh, (laughs) we've got to let you go, buddy. Uh, this looks like it's trying to make sense and we just need to get people to stream it on Netflix. I, I, but don't you want your movies to make sense? Jeff, we need you to pack your shit and go. Jeff, 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 are you trying to write a movie here? What is this? Get out. This is Netflix. <laughs> Speaking of Netflix, The Witcher 2. Um... Well, yeah, no, this is all important to um, kind of like highlight. I remember like before we started recording, Megan and I briefly talked about like the racism metaphor in The Witcher and I found it very interesting. So do you want to elaborate on that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in The Witcher, in The Witcher, it's already been introduced that elves are kind of discriminated against. In season one, they're way more like mystical. You just see like one episode, um, Geralt is like kidnapped by a couple of elves who are like trying to figure out if he's trustworthy or not. And then they let him go and you don't see him again. And then Siri in the prior season hung out with this guy named Dara, who's an elf and also black and how he's, you know, kind of like how he hides his ears because he didn't want anyone to hurt him because he was an elf. And you don't really understand the exact amount of hurt that is Uh, inflicted upon elves until this season two so what happens is the reason why uh there becomes this i mean it's elves are rounded up and put into prison in a way that is not i feel like too many people say uh the holocaust it's not the holocaust i'd say it's more akin to the internment camps in world war ii or the trail of tears there's a lot of other ways that we can describe the murders and genocides of a large group of, of peoples without necessarily just saying everything is or the holocaust. even even just like mass incarceration in the united states which Absolutely. is like an ongoing problem so. so so the reason why the elves are being arrested on mass is so at the end of so this nilfgaard like big figure is this invading army and they they want to take over the north i if you were to ask me to draw the borders of the north i'd write out the word north and i'd be like here it is there's the borders where are the kingdoms don't know where's nilfgaard from maybe to the left maybe maybe less north maybe south where are we going i don't care um, but regardless they capture the like northern capital of sintra and uh, in order to capture that northern capital, the Nilfgaardians join up with the elves. And the reason they are able to form an alliance is due to the leader of the elves and the leader of Nilfgaard at that moment. And it's the elven queen, Francesca, who is taken over from the former elf king, Philavandril, because basically all the people went, yeah, you really have not been like getting us, you know, a home, Philavandril. And Francesca has a prophetic dream and everyone trusts her. Uh, And due to this prophetic dream that Francesca has, she actually shares this dream with uh, Frangilla, who is the head mage at Nilfgaard. I realize it's getting very deep in the text, but it's 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 fine. I'm I'm 
79% following you. Great. <laughs> the main point is that Fringilla and Francesca share a dream. They share it okay. with Yennefer as well. But the main thing is that this shared dream, they both realize how they need each other. It is a, uh, it is a, it is a relationship that is born from you know they both have struggled through so fringilla is also a black mage and she's obviously faced a lot of discrimination fringilla and francesca kind of form an alliance due to the fact that they're both in this place of heavy need they need each other with regards to fringilla needs the elven forces so she can take Sintra, and mm -hmm. francesca needs the nilfgaard forces so that her people can feel protected because the elves aren't this crazy warrior tribe, they're just a bunch of people who have pointy ears and are being discriminated against heavily and killed for being who they are, which is, and they're mostly living in the forest because that's the only place where people will not hunt them. That sounds vaguely familiar to my American ears. Mm -hmm. huh. Feels like I it's written wonder. better than most of the other stuff because if we're gonna talk about, you know, uh, places that share you know like a common lineage with regards to elves being in the forest that's traditionally like you look at any given lord of the rings or hobbit elves are kind of always in the forest so it's taking that trope of elves in the forest and it's it's kind of uh making the allegory more about uh the indigenous experience of of being the owners of the land without owning the land and how oh, yeah and how they've been, they've lost. So they actually reclaim Sintra as Zintria. They rename it to the elven name. And I went, damn, you guys really are. <laughs> I love, I love that so much. And I really love um, you. You said something before. It's like, they're not this war. They're not this warrior tribe. They're just a bunch of people who happen to have pointy ears. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of a like, a discussion you and I have had before in which that no group of people is a monolith. Yes. And, like, it's very, it seems to be very, illustrated very well that, like, no elf is the same. They just share this common experience. Absolutely. And one of the other things is that in, elven, in elf society, pure-blooded elves have not been born. It's kind of a, it's, it's almost, it's not really heavily talked about, but it's kind of insinuated that there, the reason that a pure-blooded elf hasn't been born is due to incest just due to the fact that it's impossible to reproduce with the elves that currently exist that are pure blood because they're most likely related to you uh so a lot of elves went out and had you know children with humans so you have half elves and you have quarter elves and they face just as much discrimination due to the fact that they are still able to be like clocked as an elf whether it's yep. their eye color or their ears and so that is a way better way of describing racism because racism, it's if, if you look even in American history, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson was a case in uh, in the Supreme Court where it had where it, it instituted separate but equal. And I don't know if, if you know the story about Plessy versus Ferguson, but basically, uh, a very light skinned like we're talking nobody really would call this man a black man, but he was he had. He was white passing. He was a black man who was white passing. And he was sitting, I believe, in the whites only section. And even being white passing was still not white enough for the white people in this section. And therefore, separate but equal was like ruled into law. And it's a similar sort of vibe when it comes to this idea of elven blood. No amount of elven blood is good. It, like that's how a lot of humans f operate on. 
and uh and it's it this this idea of this racism that elves face goes throughout Yennefer's story it goes throughout the the entire plot of the backdrop and then you have Geralt and Ciri and Ciri plays into this elven story because as I mentioned earlier uh so luckily in magical landscapes they're like pretty fond of like curses or harbingers of death like, <laughs> you know yeah. magic uh, well, I would hope. <laughs> yeah, right? So Siri is being set up as the one who will avenge the elven people. So the elves were called the elders before they were renamed to elves. And one of the biggest things about this story that's actually so phenomenal is the plot of the story is that the way this, this world came into existence was a bunch of spheres, which I, you know, I guess are more commonly easier to refer to as planets but basically all these planets kind of collided and from their collision a new planet emerged and uh the planet that like it, it's obviously i can't think about it in a scientific aspect because if i do i'm gonna go but wait wouldn't it be dust <laughs> <laughs> but wait wouldn't everyone die like i'm sorry i think i remember astronomy a little bit and i Is feel this... like when planets collide it's just bad times for everyone involved. You're telling me somebody survived? Oh, everyone survived. Oh, the planet's thriving? Oh, it's on the brink of war. Oh. Well, what do you think would happen? A bunch of people, if, if my planet collided with another planet, I'd want to go to war too. Come on. Exactly. And that's the thing is, is it, it, it's, it's definitely written in a way heavy, high fantasy aspect when it comes to planets colliding because you have to literally <laughs> remove everything you've ever you'd be like I, I think i heard neil degrasse t know it i'm not gonna say it it's fine yes conjunction continue vesemir <laughs> yeah the um <laughs> the right the writer's room is like all right guys so i know there's this thing called physics and i know there's astronomy and um they no longer exist uh if you failed astronomy you are more qualified to write on this team than you are ever did <laughs> absolutely guys did you did you take astronomy about 10 to 40 years ago and can kind of remember that planets exist let me let me tell you how to write this script <laughs> you know what's so weird though is that the inaccuracies in astronomy you know what it does have it has like about 30 different scenes that pass the bechdel test how i i am amazed to be quite honest when you have an elven queen and a mage in charge of an army, they're not really going to be talking too much about boys. That, you know what? You're right. You're right, and you should say it. And that's uh... not even <laughs> <laughs> And it's so amazing because I didn't even realize how this passed the Bechdel test until I'm rewatching every scene with Frangilla and Francesca or Triss and Siri, and I'm like, or Yennefer and Tissaia. And I'm just like, is this, is this what it feels like when, when you don't like, what, what is this? Is this, is this a conversation between two well-informed individuals who are being political, but also, you know, being formal. And it's just, it was so nice to see the, the, the politics of kingdom play be almost exclusively discussed amongst the female characters in this in this tv show because normally in high fantasy it's almost exclusively left up to the male characters it's insane you know mm -hmm. yeah and, and it's it's something that fantasy in its in and of itself has felt like there's been a very clear divide in what is the 
hyper mask section of fantasy and what is the hyper femme section of fantasy and even with as much boobies as there will be in in, a, in the first season of, of witcher but i would like to remind you about the chesticle show that happens yeah so that was that was it, a thing i feel like it's more fair in witcher where they're like hey i think fantasy is really accessible to adults <laughs> well, that, have we tried that have we tried it um that's what they do though they they like rope you in with like the high sexy stuff and they're like oh so you're in time to lay down the heavy riding buckle up bitch yeah it's like hey listen we got you in here with orlando bloom now we're gonna have you uh listen to ian mckellen talk for a while about okay listen i get it you're you're uninterested most people need to watch Lord of the Rings like at least twice and then the third time they need to sit down and go I'm gonna figure out what this movie's about <laughs> I know that I've seen it what is the plot besides walking I don't know and then eventually you'll sit down and you'll go oh this is a good movie but in terms of accessibility pfft. yeah not so much and um which is you know like I think like Tolkien fans kind of recognize it like that is the ultimate high fantasy so I think like even though this is definitely set in a high fantasy world, like, yes. and I'm just talking about like what very little I know about it. I went into this with nothing. You are informing me of everything. I looked up pictures of the characters so that I like kind of like. I will be your guide in this world that will hopefully not be Game of Thrones. And I want to let you know already as a positive, the amount of rape scenes in this show as compared to Game of Thrones is uh it's zero it's zero is it it's, it's zero i really don't think it's been more than zero i think it's zero um yeah. i actually have to like think about it because you know sexual violence is used so heavily in high fantasy and yes you're absolutely right and that is one thing that turns me off about high fantasy like the amount of sexual like like sexual violence and like assault especially yeah. against female characters mm -hmm. as plot points yes. as moving the plot forward. Yes. So you you telling me that like there are women who are like speaking to each other who don't actively hate each other and are not competing over a man mm -hmm. is like and listen relief. I, I don't want to spoil too much with regards to like what happens with Francesca and Frangilla. Be, yeah, because they're I was about to say is that the wrong? No, they're right. Wow, two Fs. We love it. Um <laughs> but it's just watching their relationship change over so they they meet in episode two and then by episode eight their relationship has really changed and it's it's beautiful and it's sad and it's amazing to see written as well because i feel that it's well written i the first season is definitely something where you go hmm this is interesting I know for me, Calanthe was like this warrior queen who was also dressed in medieval times garb. And I was like, love that. Love this juxtaposition of a warrior queen in armor also wearing very fancy medieval times dresses. And uh, <laughs> she dies in the first season. Not a big spoiler. It happens like episode one. But, you know, it definitely is something that got me in. I mean, okay, I lied. It's Henry Cavill. I'm just trying to pretend like I like reading books sometimes guys <laughs> you, you know what it's, it's okay and live your truth we understand i do you know this is a safe I space just, <laughs> i loved tub daddy so much and so i go into season two and i'm expecting at least one shirtless scene because like henry cavill has like the perfect amount of chest hair when it comes to like you know not feeling 
like it's 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 not a fur coat but it's not like a nothing a, a wooden floor you know so exactly exactly we're not there's no there is absolutely no pledge being put on the chesticles this time it's a little <laughs> bit we, we have some combing to do but instead <laughs> instead what they replace this with i really want i really need you to understand okay so there's a bard character named yaskier who i think is a Gemini. I am like one million percent certain <laughs> that I know that technically The Witcher Two does not. Witcher season two and season one don't go by January through December. But you know what? He's whatever that equivalent is of a Gemini because okay, it's here's, amazing. Here's the thing. I have this theory about bards. I think all bards are Gemini's. But like, <laughs> who called it, guys? Who called it? It's, Every bard is a Gemini. But continue. <laughs> so. This bard is uh, is a fun character. The, the big song from season one, Toss a Coin to Your Witcher. He sings it. We love it. Oh, it's great. And then he shows up in season two and you're like, oh, look at you, Yaskier. And then he takes off his shirt and you go, stop it. No. Oh, my God. Because the reason for me that I had such an intense reaction is because so he's wearing a lot of like drapey, you know, pirate shirts and, and vests and jackets. And you're just like, ah, yes. Of course, I'm not going to imagine the body underneath the clothing. That's not what I do. I don't need to know. And then he takes off his shirt to go and take a bath in a river or something. And I'm like, whoa, buddy, listen, if you were to get a hit the gym, like, a lot before being cast in this show, I feel like you should have given everyone, like, a vibe check beforehand. Like, hey, guys, when I take off my shirt, you're all going to be really crazy impressed. And you're all going to be really crazy surprised as well because I wear a lot of loose clothing. But no, they didn't give me that check. And I was just really surprised by it. It's just, it's, it's, I think that I, that is the equivalent of when a guy is like, oh, there was a really drapey dress and I didn't know what her body looked like under, oh my God, is that it? Is that the equivalent? It is. Yeah, no, it's like, it's like people who wear very baggy t-shirts all the time and then underneath it's like, whoa, okay. Exactly. That is crazy. I mean, to, it's, it's a, it's a lot for me as an individual. Cause you're like, Oh, comic relief character. We love our comic sassy relief character who sings the songs with the loot. And then he takes off his shirt and you're like, buddy, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hey, That's, hey. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, okay. So you like, gotta look this up, please. I'm going to look it up, but also that disappoints me because like, I mean, like, I love a chiseled person. I find it very oh, yeah. admirable. But, like, that it has to be the fat Mac look. Like, you have to take your shirt off and you have to have, like, like Santa Claus going on. Oh, my like, God. So I'm trying to find... Yeah, ask your season two. See, everybody knows. What... Yeah. Right? Right? That's, like... I'm almost like, man! Like... It's, it's the face with the body... And the arms and the the abdomen abdomen abdominal region. For me, I am very intimidated by very attractive men. Like that's just me in person. Like I just go, oh, let me just. I'll be a normal human. I just gotta look at the floor the whole time. It's fine. Um, but for him, I'd be like, oh yes, friendship. Hello, friend. Hello, let us hang out and joke and have fun. And then you know you'd be like, oh no, now you now I know you have a body. I'm upset about it. God. You ever get those? Like, you're like, I loved not knowing that you had a body. I preferred you to be vapor in my eyes, sir. You see, what's what's actually very interesting is, like, I have the opposite. 
the fact that if somebody has a body, I'm like, okay, this is absolutely unattainable. I'm good. But if, someone, <laughs> but if someone's got like kind of like a soft thing going on, it's like, oh no, this this could actually be possible for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so. We've talked about Nilfgaard and the elves, and now I really just want to, I want to conclude on Geralt and Ciri, and how, there's a, there's this story trope that's really common in Hollywood, and it's the, uh, hardened old man takes care of a girl who's not biologically his daughter, and he makes her, uh, stronger, or whatever, right? Yes. That's a pretty, I like to call it the Luke Besson trope. The first time I saw it was in Leon the Professional. We're talking about Natalie Portman as a 12-year-old, and, uh, uh, I can't remember the actor's name. The guy who played uh, Leon. Um, Jean Reno, I think his name is. Yeah, uh, I believe and so. And so, The Last of Us touches on that, you know, older man, younger girl, not related. But this is the first time I've ever seen it in which this older man takes care of a younger girl. So, it's pretty obvious that Siri is, like, heavily traumatized by watching her grandma die, by watching her city burn, uh, and all this other stuff. And, you know, she has no idea about her lineage as of that moment, like when she's like at the beginning of season two. And so she goes to uh, Witcher Training Camp. I was about to use the name and I went, no, 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 Witcher Training Camp. Witcher Training Camp Junior. And, uh, <laughs> and so she goes there. <laughs> she goes to Witcher Training Camp Junior. And so it's a winter time. And like, so Geralt is like, we got to go to Witcher Training Camp Junior. And Siri's like, we definitely got to go to Witcher Training Camp Junior. And then they get to Witcher Training Camp Junior and they realize it's just a big old scary castle because this is still high fantasy, guys. <laughs> oh, did, did you think it would be like a sleepaway camp or something like that that's what i was imagining right witcher camp so so they get there and basically you meet other witchers and you find out witcher is kind of like a class it's basically witchers are humans who get uh genetically experimented with and then they become stronger and they take this elixir some of them die in the process but don't worry they only use children whose parents have died uh, so, you know, things are going well for the Witcher group. Um, <laughs> Christ. It's a lot. It's heavy. It's it's a lot of heavy. Uh, it's, it's it's something that... Uh, so, he gets into the Witcher Camp Junior, and basically, Witcher Camp Junior is also Witcher Hangout and Relax Village for people who are already Witchers. Uh, so, it's, two, it's a two-for-one. Um, and by Witcher Camp Junior, there's been no new Witchers for a while, so everybody's really excited and also makes fun of Siri a lot because, haha, girl! <laughs> uh, you know, like one step forward, two steps back. It's kind of in the equivalent of Big Brother teasing, actually. It's kind of, it's, it's weird because I haven't seen it like this before. So in one scene, um, Siri comes out and her clothes are washed and her hair is brushed and she got a little flower in her hair and then two of the older witchers and by older I mean every single guy in this witcher category that's it's like around Henry Cavill's age 30s right so they look at Siri and they go are you joking wow what a flower and they do like those little like egg-ons that older brothers do with their younger sisters to try and make them feel self-conscious okay and so she gets upset and she runs away and then Triss who is the mage that's kind of assisting with whatever problem is occurring right now. <laughs> so she looks at these two guys and she goes, you're disgusting. That's rude. And she basically lists out how a bunch of men are ill-equipped to take care of a teenage girl. She goes, you don't, she goes, you don't have a nightgown for the, her. You don't have soap for her. You don't even have a cloth for when she gets her period. How do you all 
expect for her to be happy here or expect to not lose her fucking mind because you keep making fun of her and she's just trying to be okay. And, and it's great. Tris is lovely. Tris is also going through a severe amount of PTSD because she survived a big old battle where Yennefer went fire. Uh, <laughs> it's a good time for everyone involved. And by good time, I mean working through hard truths while also high fantasy monsters everywhere. It's really hard to process your PTSD when there's like tree beings that are gonna kill you. So, you know, you do what you can. Uh, interest, I really think it's very interesting that, that high fantasy is now focusing on like, yeah, a lot of these events are super traumatic. And I'm like, no, you got, no, I, I agree. They are, definitely. Uh, yeah, like. I don't even know I, what to say about it. I just haven't seen it before. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, cool, yeah, no, no complaints here. Like. You know, how um, they kind of sort of touch upon that in The Lord of the Rings, which, like, Frodo never truly recovers from you know, his journey. I would say that Frodo's is seen... So Frodo's is very singular, it's not, right? It's not seen that way, but that's always how I've interpreted it. Exactly. It's depicted to the audience as not... So Sam goes through it more he's like well Frodo I love you and then Frodo's like no he goes through it more but like you know afterward he has a wife and a family and stuff like that and Frodo never moves on from that point of his life well damn (laughs) (laughs) you know or maybe but but on the other hand Sam could just be compartmentalizing and just like I'm gonna put my trauma in a box (laughs) and my kids will deal with it in 30 to 40 years Um, do they have like hobbit therapy like I'm just wondering (laughs) you know they don't even have like witcher therapy or anything like that it's just people sharing just horribly traumatic stories with one another and then they're just like you gotta move on and that's it they're just I like just, you yeah, gotta. I, just, I just imagine like a human like a human therapist with an elf be like have you tried like you just not taking you know like not taking it personally and the elf being like they're rounding up my people and putting them in jail. Imagine like, just being like, like as a therapist, being like, hey, so that, like, w- working with Yennefer on losing your powers. So I get it. You've lost your powers, and, like, I'm certain you feel powerless. And then at that moment, Yennefer, Je- I was about to say Jennifer. God. Let's not, let's not pretend these are real names here. Yennefer gets up, chokes the therapist out, and goes, I just want my powers back, and then leaves. <laughs> and the therapist is trying to help Yennefer realize, like, listen, it's not your powers you want back. You enjoyed having control. Shut up, Jeff. The power, the power was in you all along. Shut up, <laughs> Jeffrey. I swear to God, Jeffrey. you are going out of business right now. <laughs> all you Jeffrey's know what? I actually jobless. just so there's one thing I did want to. So so yeah, Siri. Siri definitely is dealing with uh, some you know traumatic events. Chris oh, is absolutely. dealing with some traumatic events. But what's so interesting is that they're written extremely human. In a, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they're human, but they're written human in a human of this earth, of the not submerged continents or converged continents, whatever, conjuncted, com- conjunctivitis, I, whatever. I... <laughs> we're here. We're, we're experiencing traumatic events, obviously not to the extent of, like, Tree Beast comes alive and rips my family in half. But, you know... Let's let's all say uh, thank you to this earth for not having tree beasts that rip yeah, my family I'm in half. Super grateful. Super <laughs> honestly, guys. Sometimes it's really helpful to watch high fantasy and look at it and go, well, you know, I could have random beasts of nightmare and terror 
roaming through the local park. So, well, if you it, think- it could be worse. <laughs> It could be worse. But, I mean, if you think about it, you know, high fantasy is, like, a very safe way to explore, like, how these things feel, I think. Because, like, yeah, like, like a traumatic event, like, may not appear to be a tree beast ripping apart your family. But But it it sure fucking... But it feels like it. It fucking feels like that, right? Yeah, so, like... I think it's effective, yeah. (laughs) It's a good point. I didn't think about the the necessary, like, the human... Because, yeah, no matter what, whether... No matter matter how exactly graphic or visceral the experience is, trauma is interpreted by each individual in a different way. Yes. And so, like, for Triss, for instance, she was on a battlefield and she watched her friends die. For Siri, she watched the city get sacked and her family be murdered. Mm. Uh, Whereas, you know... And then for Geralt, it's kind of just this continual just shoving shit down like "Mm, get down there feelings i don't want to talk like (laughs) and you realize this as Geralt goes along because part of his journey is that he thinks yennefer is dead at the beginning of the season whoopsie surprise halfway through he finds out she's not and then you know uh things things move from there without giving too much into it i think the the relationship between yennefer and Geralt is not really like the for like front focus of this season it's definitely a side plot and it's going to be revisited but for this season and what i really appreciate about it is that yennefer's struggle for losing her powers and like finding herself is definitely a well-written finding yourself journey because Mm -hmm. the way she's she's so she uh gets like like a basically a a forest witch without going into too much detail a forest witch basically says like hey you get me siri i'll give you your powers back and mm-hmm. uh guess what she almost delivers siri but not quite so you know the real tree witch was inside her all along actually she was i think it could have been a possession i'm not sure <laughs> i really really vibe when it comes to like this is why when it comes to like shows like witcher it's serious and it's heavy sure but you can absolutely enjoy the absurdity of high fantasy because yes you can treat it with reverence but it's also a bit absurd guys come on did you hear about the tree beast it lost an arm but it was still okay and then the tree beast ripped somebody in half and then did you know the tree beast got ripped in half by like a weird spider looking thing with a goat head What's it called? <laughs> Jeff. What? We're calling it Jeff now. That's what you get, Jeff. That weird thing is named after you. <laughs> Jeff, what have you wrought? Jeff, Jeff, I swear to God, all these monsters are your fault. <laughs> Jeff is a monolith because technically all these creatures are coming out of a monolith. I wish I was joking. It's called a monolith. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> These creatures are coming from a monolith, therefore they're kind of a monolith no. because because Witcher writers the, <laughs> words mean things because they're using the word monolith as the actual structural definition of what a monolith is, and then the monolith breaks, and then monsters come out of the monolith. So technically, the monsters are a monolith. I'm sorry, I'm done. No. <laughs> I just want every time there's a discussion in Witcher about like elves not being a monolith, I want to be like, but the monsters come from the monolith, so I think they are part of a monolith. 
I, I'm not. And then what's going to happen is they're going to be like, uh, you need to leave this convention, ma'am. This panel is only for fans. And I'd be like, so if you think about it, maybe monoliths aren't just monoliths. Ah! And, then just, and then there's just two security guards dragging me as I'm like, hey, guys. Hey. <laughs> Ah. Words, you you <laughs> shouting as you're dragged out. Words have multiple definitions. <laughs> Henry Cavill, I want to see your tits. <laughs> I, I love the chesticle show. It is a fun time for me. I appreciate the variety of chesticle experiences in this season. And I mean it in general. Like, there's a lot of different chesticles that you will see and experience. Um, and luckily, they don't necessarily uh, remove the plot during those scenes. And they kind of come out of nowhere. Which is, I feel like, how most TV shows deal with nudity. They're just like, hey, so we're going to have a conversation. And then they're just going to take off their clothes. And I'm just like, you know what? That's it, man. Yep, you got it. It's kind of relieving in a way, though, that it's like, I mean, no objectification is great. But, like, finally a show that, like, favors male objectification it's Over, definitely you one know? of those. It's yeah. It's not really heavy on one or the other. And yeah. another thing, just to like wrap up because we're talking about objectification. So Daenerys is like, I'm certain a lot of people have compared Ciri to Daenerys because she's blonde and she wears a blue outfit at one point in season two. And you're like, okay, Daenerys, young, sure. Daenerys. One of Daenerys's first scenes in Game of Thrones involves like nudity and like sexual assault, aka you know, uh, non consensual that, yeah. that stuff. Um, yeah. And it's it was, just, yeah. I, it's a rough scene. It's an incredibly horrifyingly bad scene. Siri goes through a similar trauma in the sense of watching her family die. However, it's, trauma doesn't need to be sexual. It's so important for the fact that Witcher has introduced the ideas of sex. Basically, in every aspect of the Witcher, they, when it is sex, it is a loving act. Um, and I'm, I just realized I do want to cap off this by saying that with sexual violence, there is a mention of it. I realized I didn't reference this, but in the first episode of season two, a guy has been cursed Beauty and the Beast style, uh, except, uh, he's immortal and magic. So not Beauty and the Beast style, but kind of like the same idea of the beast just being immortal and magical. And then what happens is his, his, uh, curse is lifted when the, he, uh, the, the person he loves most dies, right? And you find out the reason he got cursed with this, you know, looking like a beast and having magic and immortality because, you know, if you're a, if you're a beast, nobody's going to want to come near you. But the reason he was cursed like that is because he says, his character says, and I didn't catch it until the second time through, he says the reason he was cursed is because he raped the priestess who cursed him. And uh, he asks Geralt to kill him because now that he's not immortal and he doesn't have magical powers, life isn't worth living. And Geralt says, well, you're mortal now. Do it yourself. And then that's the end of the episode. So I think it's probably the best way I have seen a, a violent sexual like description as opposed to a cutback flashback. Let me show you because people don't have ears and don't understand how imagination works. Yeah, no, I think... The fact that it's like adequately punished as well, that it's seen as such yes, as a punishable it's, act. It is absolutely seen as a punishment. He his character throughout the episode, he's very joyful and jovial. He loves his magic. He loves his immortality. The person who he's in love with, like 
I don't know, it's with, without, again, without going into species and types, basically like a vampire, but, but not just a vampire or whatever. So the vampire gets a good relationship with the, the beast because the beast is immortal. And then, you know, Geralt kills the vampire because that's his job, kind of, you know, that's kind of what they do. And then, the, then his friend is like, but, but, and he's, you know, so it's good. It's good because he's able to acknowledge that his friend truly was a, uh, deeply disturbed individual and his punishment was getting the curse that he thought was a curse removed and mm. uh it's it's really nice i think it's it's a it's a really great way to kind of showcase these more hard like because you know it's fantasy is just i feel like fantasy is almost always black and white and i feel like witcher really deals with all the areas of gray they're never touched on yeah, no, I, it really sounds like it from what you were saying. And to kind of go back to the point you were talking about before you um, discussed this, thank you for bringing this up. Yeah, I, think I did want to really mention it because I did say there wasn't any rape scenes and there isn't. It's a sentence, but, you know, I do yeah, want to clarify. It's, it's still an implication and, like, people can, it can be out of nowhere for people. So absolutely, um, triggers work in really strange ways. But, like, yeah, yeah. You were saying before something about how trauma does not have to be something that happens to a person. How in, And I think that's a really great thing to depict in television, especially with female characters. Because so often it's like a female character's dignity is reduced to their sexual yeah. availability or their sexual, like, existence as a sexual being exactly and it's you know it's an unfortunate part of our society and like male writers especially are very much like oh well you know what's a way to bring a woman down to you know introduce rape in this scene it's like no that's a highly traumatic thing to have happen to somebody like exactly and you don't watch high fantasy because you really want to fantasize that shit you watch fantasy because it is meant to be escapism and too many times fantasy conflates with with uh, medieval torture, I think. And they're just like, well, fantasy times is basically medieval times. And it's like, that's really not in its essence. Fantasy kind of comes from this idea of like your grim fairy tales, you know, like those are where you start to like these magical instances to constantly put sexual violence in a magical world is just, it's a, it's disrespectful. To yeah. People. And, and it's not escapism if it's not escapism for everybody. And exactly. Like, and, like, there are so many ways to depict trauma. And, like, you know, watching somebody die in front of you, like, that is, like, defenseless, like, able to do, to do nothing. That's highly traumatizing. And that's not happening to you directly. Nope. But it also shows a different type of trauma that we don't see a lot. Absolutely. It's not being done to you. It's being done to someone else to hurt you. Yep. And the important part is that the trauma is something that, because like I said, we have trauma, like a lot of people just kind of carry it with them. And so with this specific instance of trauma, it's that it, it motivates Siri in a way that the revenge is, is it's, it's not kill Bill in that sense. For Siri, she's more so just focused on being as strong as she can so she can fight these the she's she's specifically the the villain in her head is the the knight in black it doesn't really matter it's not really one individual who sacked the city and killed her grandma it is it is the one individual that she can focus on but for a lot of people having a singular image kind of helps them with regards to overcoming with regards to processing it is something that for some people, it is what works. And it's interesting that 
The Witcher is exploring different ways of processing trauma. I mean, for Siri, it's through attack, through Triss, it's through like sadness and like isolation. For Geralt, it's to shove it down and to ignore. For Yennefer, it's to be angry and upset at the circumstances beyond her control. It's just, these are all generalized feelings. And like, I mean, I really don't feel like I need to like advertise season two, because if you haven't seen season one, you're not going to see season two. But just as like, like since, since normally fantasy is so heavy on like, let's talk about how hot a guy is or how hot a girl is or like the costumes or something, or let's talk about how like this magic spell or that elven word. And this is just some real shit right here, guys. And it's fantasy. Real fantasy. Well, I... Well, I mean, fan of the, the best fantasy addresses the problems in our, our real world, you know, That's like the, the escapism, like now that you have like everything else stripped away, like all of the, the real world trappings stripped away and you've like created this sort of canvas, you can project those feelings it's, onto it's, this canvas. It's amazing to like watch and it's well done. Um, with that, I feel like um, I, I want to go into like 17 other more things. I think I'm just going to try to like end on the fact that I was not expecting season two to be like phenomenal. I was expecting it to be like fine. Yeah, we could get through it and it would be decent. But mm -hmm. like I wasn't expecting too much. Season one was fine. It was good. Like, you know, I enjoyed it. It's a little confusing, but whatever. Like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> then I watched season two and I'm like. Like, I'm rewinding scenes, and I'm like, wait, what? And I'm just, I, it hits harder because it's more deep. Like, you, un, suddenly these characters aren't all about just presenting themselves to the audience for the first time. It's about, here are some real challenges. And, like, watch these characters go through them. And mm -hmm. that's all I want in the show, man. All I care about is enjoying watching characters go through struggles and overcoming them. And, like, I'm crossing my fingers. Witcher season three, we're going to get some apocalypse horsemen. Or I think they're going on a hunt. I'm not sure. I think well, there was an Irish lady nearby. Um, <laughs> and she she was wearing yellow. And it was not the season. It was autumn. And we love yellows in autumn. But the sky was, like, blood red. And, like, we not, we're not a big fan of the blood red sky. Because, you know... No. It is a harbinger of end times. And then you see, like, the dudes on the skeletons on the horses. And then, like, one dude isn't a skeleton. And you're like, huh? Is that James? And then they're like, no, it's not. They voted it's Jeff. Him. Oh my God. And then it's a real big surprise. <gasps> Jeff is actually, I mean, so this guy's, this is going to be it. This is season three of Witcher. I'm calling it right now. Jeff, big skeleton horse dude, blood red sky, yellow. You sound like Christopher Walken right now. <laughs> so good. Big red sky. Big red sky, yellow. Jeff on a horse. Irish. Skeletons, <laughs> many, so scared. We're gonna find out. Tune in next. <laughs> but oh god, to my end note is the last time we did an episode on the <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> on the no, we're so good. My the la my last note is um the 
last time we did an episode on The Witcher, it was very silly. We talked mostly about um, uh, Henry Cavill's testicles. It's for so most good, though. Of the I mean, he's gorgeous. Don't want to don't want to discredit any of that hard work right oh, there. Yeah. And it was all about <laughs> and it was all about world building, and yes. that's what the primary focus of The Witcher season one was. And now that they've done all the world building, they get to do the fun stuff and hope. And now that they've done all like set laid the like the the groundwork for the fun stuff they're gonna build on top of that yeah it's like the season one was the foundation of the house season two is your structure season three is gonna be your trappings exactly and you're just gonna want to live in that home aka the chesticle station (laughs) which is what i call my mirror while i get up in the morning Chesticle station. Chesticle a bra- station. A brazier. Thank you. It's, it's where I put, you know, got to make sure everything's good. You dust it off. I don't know what you do. Somebody dusts off their chest on occasion. I'm certain there's crumbs. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, you know who there's crumbs for? Jeff. Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Jeff, guys. Thanks to Jeff. We, we are, we're excited to see you next season, buddy. Yeah, we're excited to see Jeff next season, and we're excited that you guys keep on listening to our show. Thank you so much. I love you guys more than I hate Jeff, and that's a lot. (laughs) I hate Jeff, and I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Megan, so much for this wonderful journey through The Witcher. Um, I expected a lot and i I, I got a lot more out of it so thank you i'm so happy i got to guide you through uh, a 56 ish minute journey of uh you know what we'll figure it out one day (laughs) one day we will figure it out all right i love it i love you (laughs) i love you too well thank you guys so much for listening um join us next week for a extra fun episode that is has literally nothing to do with this subject oh no Um, we're about to make a hard left turn so you may want to pause get a drink walk around because it's about to become way different next episode oh yeah baby all right well uh, mask up stay safe and uh, we shall see you next time goodbye goodbye